All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And I'll start reading at verse number one. I have to read a fair amount of Scripture today because it's a long story. But uh, I think it'll go fairly quickly. John 11, verse 1. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, When they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. 
And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this wonderful, uplifting, glorious story. Thank you, Lord, that it's true. Thank you, Father, that it really happened. That our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, really did restore Lazarus to life. Thank you that some of us have had the privilege of standing and looking into a tomb just like this one. Uh, in, the, in the town of Bethany, maybe, maybe the very place where this happened. But Lord, I pray today, as we think about these events and all that took place here, that you'll use it to comfort our hearts and minds and to encourage us to think about just who this man was. This Jesus who could raise Lazarus from the dead. Speak to us now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This particular passage has been much on my mind lately. It was the text that my brother used, or at least partially used, when he preached the sermon at my aunt's funeral. So I've been thinking about it since then. It is about death, and it is about dying. And therefore, as I've worked through my own grief on Beth's loss, I have naturally gravitated to passages like this one. It's a particularly precious passage, isn't it? Because in this particular passage, we get a glimpse into the heart of our Savior in that shortest of all verses, at least in our English Bible, Jesus wept. We could spend so much time just on that one verse, couldn't we? What a glimpse into his heart. It's also a particularly uplifting passage, for we get this wonderful promise of future resurrection. It sustains us as believers when we go through all these kinds of things that we've gone through lately. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Amen. Do you believe that? I believe that. It's a glorious, wonderfully uplifting passage as we think about that. Well, this morning, I don't want to be long, but I want to just share a few thoughts from this particular story. And I'm going to try to arrange my thoughts around four different Four different uh, words or phrases, and all of them begin with the letter M. So if you're taking notes, you can write down four M's, and you'll find when I get to the end that I'm stretching my alliteration a little bit. But nonetheless, four things that begin with M. First of all, let's think about the word miracle. Miracle. Jesus raised somebody from the dead. Now, I don't know how you could use any other word, but miracle, when you think about that particular thing. And, and interestingly, this was not the first time Jesus had raised somebody from the dead. He had done it at least two other times that we know of. He had raised the widow of Nain's son. We can read about that in Luke chapter 7. He had raised, raised Jairus's daughter to life. You can read about that in Luke chapter 8. Uh, there may have been others, but the Holy Spirit didn't see fit to tell us about those. The ones we know about are those two. And both of those were astonishing miracles in their own right, but they were subject to skeptics being able to look at them and say, well, you know what, maybe they weren't really dead. Or they, they had just died. Maybe their heart was still beating just a little bit. Maybe they weren't really dead. They could have done that with those two particular ones. But Lazarus had been dead for four days. He was in a state of decomposition. And anybody with a nose knew that Lazarus 
was dead. Let me just summarize what we just read a little bit here about the miracle itself. Jesus hears about Lazarus' illness. He knows he's going to die, but then he remains where he is for two days. Don't you think that's one of the more humorous things in the Bible? Jesus, knowing that this is going to take place, stayed where he was for two days. And he tells us why he did that. He did that that God and he might receive glory. So he waits two days. After this waiting period has come and go, he decides to go. He knows Lazarus is now dead. Upon meeting the sisters, he comforts them. He tells them of his plan to raise Lazarus from the dead. Upon arriving at the tomb, he demands it to be opened. I think he demanded it to be opened so that the stench of death would fill the air. I think he demanded it to be opened so that everyone would know. Would, it would be proven without a shadow of a doubt that this man was dead. And then he wept. And then he prayed. And then he commanded. I think it's interesting. No other machinations were necessary here. He didn't have to do anything fancy here. He just spoke. In this great miracle, maybe one of the greatest, maybe the greatest, I don't know, that he, that he ever did, all it needed was for him to say, Lazarus, come forth. He spoke it, he commanded it, and Lazarus lived. Can't you, can't you imagine what that scene must have been? Those of us who have been there and have seen the, the, uh, the tomb of Lazarus, which uh, is almost certainly not authentic, it's just representative the last time we went, we didn't get to go there, but this, the other times we did. The tomb of Lazarus in Bethany that they show you is a cave, and it goes way down a whole bunch of steps. I have a picture somewhere in my collection of Judy climbing back up out of those, out of those steps and way down in there. And so when, every time I think about this, I, I picture in my mind what it must have been like to watch Lazarus trying to hobble up all those steps, bound hand and foot, as he was come back to life. He lived. He was alive. Now, we have to be careful what words we use here. He was not resurrected. When we're resurrected, we're never going to die again. When we're resurrected, we're resurrected to life eternal. Poor old Lazarus had to die twice. He didn't get that privilege. He was restored to life. He was not resurrected, but he was, he was alive. It was an astonishing miracle. And not surprisingly, to see such a thing caused many to believe, according to verse number 45. What is kind of surprising is that in light of that, in spite of that, some still didn't believe in verse number 46. No matter what people see, not everyone is going to believe. Some just simply will not. Well, so there's the miracle. Let's look at another M. Let's look at Mary and Martha. I know that's two M's, but we're going to count it as one. Mary and Martha. Do you ever wonder why it is that so much of the Bible is devoted to these two women? Have you ever noticed there's a lot in the Bible about Mary and Martha? What is it about them? Lazarus would seem to be the person who is a key character here. But what do you know about Lazarus? Can anybody tell me about Lazarus? Did Lazarus ever say anything? Did Lazarus ever do anything? We really don't know much about Lazarus other than the fact that he was the brother of Mary and Martha. They're the ones. He did. Well, I'm not going to repeat that, brother. Now, Mary and Martha are the ones we meet and learn about and are taught by. And I think the Holy Spirit must have known that we needed to learn something from those two. So let's think about them for a minute. Think about Martha. Martha, the servant, always the servant, the worker bee, the one who's bustling about. In Luke chapter 10, 
We read Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. I, I think that is such a funny verse. She gets right in his face. Tell her to help me. That just sounds like a woman to me. Always the servant. But then there's Mary. Mary's the opposite. She's never seen serving. We don't see that in her. She's always seen worshiping. Every time we see Mary, she is at the feet of Jesus. Do a little study sometime. Watch you. Every time you see her, she'll be at the feet of Jesus. Luke chapter 10 and verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. In verse 32 of what we read today, when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In verse 2, we read that it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so again, always, always at the feet of Jesus. That's Mary. So these two women would seem to be kind of opposites, wouldn't they? Martha's a worker, a doer, if you will. I have a colleague at work who is fond of the sayings, there's, there's doers and there's spewers. In other words, there's those who get things done and those who talk about getting things done. Martha was a doer. Mary was a worshiper. I like how in verse number 20, Martha meets Jesus eye to eye. She spoke to him as a friend, which he was. She approached him boldly, not for the first time, as we have seen. Mary, on the other hand, meets, her, meets Jesus with her eyes to the ground in verse number 32. She spoke to him as her master, which he was. She spoke submissively, which was also appropriate. Both of them had the same need. Verse number 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse number 32, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Both the exact same need. And so which one was right and which one was wrong? I've heard multiple sermons on this. I've probably preached multiple sermons on this. It always seems to be our temptation as preachers to try to decide which one of these two was right and which one was wrong. In Luke, the narrative seems to favor Mary's approach. Jesus said there, but one thing is needful and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And so he seems there to be favoring Mary. However, when I think about that, I think he was very specifically responding to her. Tell her to help me. I think that's all he was responding to right there. I'm not going to do that, Martha, because she's doing right right here. But here in John, Martha seems to be the one favored, both by the mention of her as the object of Christ's love. She's mentioned by name in verse number five. Mary's not. And by the fact that she is the one he favored with the explanation and teaching in verses 21 and following. So this one would seem to favor Martha. She gets all the press here. I think the lesson is that both approaches are needed. We need to be workers for Christ like Martha. We need to be worshipers of Christ like Mary. And those two things are not in conflict. God does not give us conflicting priorities. We can do both of those things. We need to approach Him as our God, worshiping and submissive to His authority in our lives like Mary. We also need to approach Him boldly as our friend and helper, seeking His help, asking our questions, talking through the issues of life with Him as Martha. So I think we need to pray today. May God help us to be both Mary and Martha. There's something to learn from both of them. Well, so we've seen miracle. We've seen Mary and Martha. Let's look at a third M. It's the word mercy. And now you're going to notice I'm starting to stretch a little bit here. It's getting harder to alliterate, but... We're going to try. Mercy. Look at verse 35 if you need to. I think every Christian can memorize this verse. Jesus wept. Jesus 
wept. Can you see the master standing there? Put your mind's eye back there. Surrounded by wailing mourners. Some of whom were no doubt legitimate, but some of whom also were paid professionals. That was a common practice in the day. And so see his eyes pass from the practiced wails of those pros and go from them to the genuine heartbroken tears of Mary and Martha. See his eyes well up with tears as he watches the scene, as he empathizes with the sorrow. Can you see that? Can you see Jesus, the master of the universe, weeping? It's an amazing scene. Jesus felt their sorrow. He felt their pain, their crushed spirit, their agony of heart. He felt it all. And he wept. And oh, my friend, he feels your sorrow too. He feels your pain. Whatever it might be that you go through, he goes with you. There was a man by the name of Frank Graff. He was a hymn writer. He went through some very difficult times, and he wrote some hymns that perhaps you remember. One of them, we don't sing nearly enough. We ought to sing it more. It's called, Does Jesus Care? And the story goes that he was going through a particular time, a particular time of despondency and despair and, and troubles, and he's having some physical pain issues. And he came one day to First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7, and he, he just kind of fixated on those words, He cares for you. He cares for you. And he meditated on that for a while, and then he wrote this hymn. Listen to the words of this hymn. It may not be familiar to you. Does Jesus care? Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Does Jesus care when my way is dark? With a nameless dread and fear. As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches. Till it nearly breaks. Is it ought to him? Does he see? And then listen to the chorus. Because yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. And when the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Oh, as you see him standing there, and you see the tears welled up on his face. Do you not see that? The mercy of our God. The caring of our Savior. He cares for me. He cares for you. Well, one last one. And you're really going to think I'm stretching it now. We've seen miracle. We've seen Mary and Martha. We've seen mercy. The fourth M is the word madness. Madness. And I don't like that word, but I can't find another one that starts with M. So we're going to have to use it. And if I explain it, I think you'll perhaps know where I'm going with this. I'm not speaking of madness as in insanity. I'm not speaking of madness as in mental problems. No. I'm speaking in mad, of madness uh, in, 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 in the way of anger. Anger. 
Because in addition to sorrow, I think it's possible there was another emotion at work here. I want you to look at verse 33. Look at verse 33. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. What in the world does that mean? He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Well, I think if we look at some other translations, it might help us a little bit. The New American Standard and the NIV both say he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Does that help? Not much. How about the New Living Translation? It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, he was moved with indignation and was deeply troubled. Does that help? I think that one does. You see, one of the primary definitions of the Greek word that is used there is to be moved with anger, to be very angry, and to be moved with indignation. And so here's what I think. I think that as Jesus stood outside of that tomb, he not only got sad, I think he also got mad. I think he also got mad as he stood before that tomb, as he heard the cacophony of weeping voices, as he he was seeing the brokenness of his dearest friends at their loss, as he was tasting the salt of his own tears, as he was smelling the stench of death all around him in the air. I believe rage, righteous rage, filled his heart. You know why? Because this was the enemy that he came to face. This was the battle he had come to join. This was his purpose, to defeat this enemy, death. In this one moment, I believe the righteous rage of the Savior rose up within him, and as he uttered those words, Lazarus, come forth, he was dealing a blow, a death blow to the sin which has so enslaved you and I, and the death that results from it. The final blow would come at the cross. The final blow would come at the empty tomb. But here was a blow. Lazarus, come forth. One man put it like this. Let me read a little comment from another person about this. He said, there would seem to be indignation and even anger in this sorrow. The presence of the grief-stricken sisters to whose faith bereavement is presenting its sharpest challenge brings vividly home to him the iron grip in which mankind is held by what Paul calls the last enemy that shall be destroyed. To bring about this destruction was the chief purpose for which the Son of God had entered the human arena. It is death that is the object of His wrath, and behind death, Him who has the power of death, and whom He has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill His eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and He advances to the tomb as a champion who prepares for conflict. The raising of Lazarus thus becomes not an isolated marvel, but a decisive instance, an open symbol of Jesus' conquest of death and hell, not in cold unconcern, but in flaming wrath against the foe, Jesus smites on our behalf. He has not only saved us from the evils which oppress us, He has felt for and with us in our oppression. And under the impulse of these feelings, He has wrought out our redemption. Amen. We can learn a lot from this passage. We can learn a lot from the miracle itself. And we can learn a lot from the characters involved, principally Mary and Martha. But I think the greatest lesson from John chapter 11 is in the tears of the Savior. For in them we see His heart. In them we see His soul. We see a physical demonstration of how much He cares for you and I. And I think we also see a physical demonstration of the rage and indignation that prompted him to come to our aid when we could not help ourselves. Because understand this, 
you and I are Lazarus. You and I are Lazarus. We were dead. We were lost. We were undone. And he stepped up and called us to life. I wonder this morning, have you heard his call? And have you answered his call? Are you one of the ones who, when they saw this great thing, believed? Or would you be one of the ones who did not and refused to? Oh, I pray today that all in the sound of my voice would believe. For the Savior has wrought on your behalf. He has called you. And all you need to do is answer.